All right, continuing our series, Wisdom for the Home, and studying in the book of Proverbs, avoiding the house of the wicked. Now, what are we talking about when we say avoiding the house of the wicked? Well, look at Proverbs chapter 21 and verse number 12. The Bible says, the righteous one. Now, I don't know about your Bible, but in my Bible, and I'm using the NIV, in my Bible, the two words righteous one are capitalized. The reason is it's a proper noun. It is referring to God. Literally, that can be translated, God takes note of the house of the wicked and brings the wicked to ruin. So here's the deal. The Bible says that God makes a distinction between a righteous home and a wicked home. Now, we talked about that before. We talked about the importance of, ha- of our homes being righteous and us having the kind of home that God would bless. So we're not going to go back over that. Now what we're going to do is we're going to kind of flip that coin, and we're going to talk about the negative side. We- we've talked about some of the positives. These are things we ought to do. Today we're going to talk about the things that God warns about. When he warns about a wicked home, we're to avoid that. We we don't want our homes to be wicked homes. So what does that look like? Now what we're hoping is that as God shows us what a wicked home looks like, that you and I will begin to see some of the, the signals that some of these things may be creeping into our home so we can immediately address it and stop it before it goes too far. Many of these things are like a cancer. that They start slowly and creep into the home a lot of times without us realizing it. And before you know it, it has grown and spread throughout areas of the home to where it's almost inoperable. And there's nothing you can do about it. So what we want to do is we want God to expose to us through his word the things we need to watch out for. Okay? So let's do that. We're going to start, first of all, I'm giving you some introduction thoughts here. I did some study. The word wicked is used, at least in the NIV version of the Bible, it's used 82 times in the book of Proverbs. 82 times. So evidently, God felt it was very, very, very necessary for us to understand what this kind of a person was like. Also, the Bible warns about the wicked. I want you to go through some verses with me real quick. They're all written down there for you. Let's back up to Proverbs chapter 3, and let's start with verse number 33. Let's just look real quick, first of all, at what God says about the house of the wicked. Verse 33, chapter 3. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. Okay, let's go over to chapter 12 and verse 7. Chapter 12, verse number 7. Wicked men are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous stands firm. Chapter 12 and verse 21. No harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. Chapter 14, verse 11. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. And then chapter 15 and verse number 9. And this is going to transition us in to the first point we're going to look at, the practice of the wicked. Chapter 15, verse 9. The Lord detests the way of the wicked. I want you to notice the word detests. Because that word is used in another form 
in a passage in chapter 6 that we're about to go look at. And so those two words tie these two things together. Because when the Bible talks about the Lord detesting the way of the wicked, in chapter 6, he's going to list for us seven things that the Lord says are detestable to him. So, among other things that could be described as wicked, these seven things God clearly says, these are the way of the wicked. So we're going to look at those seven things in just a second. So, he says, the Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. So it's pretty obvious through all these verses that to have a home that is described by God as wicked is not a good thing. The home of the wicked will be destroyed. It will not flourish. It will have trouble. And in opposition to that, God says the home of the righteous or those that do what God says is just the opposite. It flourishes. It's blessed. It's protected from trouble all of those things. So, I want us to start today making sure we understood clearly what we're about to study. It's very, very important that we don't have this in our home or in our lives because it's not a good thing. Okay? Now, I want you to take your Bible. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6. Many of you are probably familiar with the passage. Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to start in verse number 16. And this is the list of the seven things that God hates. Now, obviously, God hates sin. Sin is what crucified Christ. Sin is what ruins our lives. So God hates sin. It's pretty obvious. However, in the book of Proverbs, God says in chapter 15 and verse 9 that he detests the way of the wicked. Well, what is their way? What is it? that he detests about them. Well, in chapter 6, and verse number 16, the Bible says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. So he's about to tell us specifically seven things that describe the way of the wicked, because these are the things that detest him. These are the things he hates. So let's look at these briefly. And this is the practice of the wicked. These are the things we don't want to be true about our home. We don't want these things to be prevalent in our house. Now, let me, let me pause here and ask you a question. If these things get into my home, how do they get there? Do they just float in through the ceiling one night? Do they crawl down the chimney like Santa Claus? How do these things get into the home? Well, first of all, what are these things? These are descriptions of characteristics of a human being. So who brings these things into the home? The pets or the people? The people. So how do these things get in our home? We bring them in. So how do I keep these things from getting into my home? I keep them from getting into my own life. You know, a lot of times, and I've told you this before, in marital counseling, whenever couples are struggling and they'll come to me, and I've told you this a hundred times, I'll always talk to them individually first. And I'll, I'll look at one of them and I'll say, what is your perception of the problem? And they spend 30 minutes telling me everything that's wrong with the other person. And then I bring the other person in, ask them the same question, and they do the same thing. They spend 30 minutes telling me everything that's wrong with the other person. 
The problem with that is, and by the way, that may all be true. The other person may have all those problems. But the problem is you can't fix the other person. You can only fix you. I can only fix me. If my wife has a problem, I can't fix that. If my children have a problem, I can't fix that. I can teach them. I can train them. I can treat them the way God tells me to treat them, but I can't change their heart. Only God can do that. So, whenever we look at these things, the first thing I don't want us to do is to start thinking about the other person and all of these things that are true about the other person. What I do want us to do is take a look at these things and a real close look at ourselves. Are any of these things in any form creeping into my life? Because if they creep into my life, they'll not only creep into my home, they'll creep into every relationship and every activity that I'm involved in in my life, whether it be work, whether it be my friends, whether it be the neighbors, or obviously our home. Okay? So let's start. Let's go through these seven things. Let's see what they are. Number one, the practice of the wicked. Seven things that are detestable. Verse 17. Number one, haughty eyes. What is that? That's pride. As a matter of fact, in the King James Version, that phrase is translated pride. Now, what is this? This is an attitude of pride. We don't have time to read it, but in Psalm 10, verses 1 through 12, and then in verse 15, God describes for us the attitude of the wicked. And he basically says the proud person says in his heart, there is no God, God doesn't see me, God's not going to punish me, I'm bigger than God. By the way, do you know what that's called today in secular philosophy? It's called humanism. And it is a philosophy of life. Humanism is the philosophy of life that says man is his own God, there is no other God. Right is determined by me. Situational ethics. If I think it's right, then it's right for me. That's humanism. As a matter of fact, years ago, in the public educational system, humanism was introduced. That's when creationism, prayer, Bible, that's when all of that began to be removed from our public education system. Because if humanism becomes the underlying philosophy then there is no need for those things because humanism says man is his own God. You don't need a Bible to tell you what to do. You don't need to pray to a God because you, you make your own decision. Okay, So that's where all that comes from. This is the beginning. How many of you remember the story, the account in Isaiah, of when Lucifer fell? Lucifer said seven times, I think, six or seven, I, 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 I will send Above the Most High. I will be like God. I will exalt myself. I. Pride is what destroyed Lucifer. And that very same attitude is the foundational attitude of everything a wicked person does. Okay? So, what is God's way? And I've given you this because I didn't want to just tell you all the bad things. I want us to know what God says is the right thing. Well, the right thing is humility. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 5, the Bible said God resists the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. In describing the attitude of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, 
The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto the death of the cross. Jesus Christ himself exemplified for us a life of humility. Okay? So first of all, any time wickedness or bad stuff starts creeping into our house, I can tell you where it all starts. Pride. Arguments, that's where they start. Pride. I say we need to do it this way. My wife says we need to do it a different way. Why do we argue about it? Because of my pride. I'm right. You're not. I don't know how many of you, I forget the little Disney movie. I think it was uh, Matilda. I'm big, you're little. I'm smart, you're not. All of that. That's pride. We all got it. Okay? We all got it. And unfortunately, until we get to heaven, it ain't never going away. We're constantly going to have to fight it. Okay? But that's where it all starts. Now, let's keep going, and you're going to see where it leads. All right, number two, a lying tongue. Now, what is this? This is a disrespect for the truth. Interesting, in John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, you are of your father the devil, and the works of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he says, he is the father of lies. His philosophy is lying. A disrespect for the truth. Now, do you remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? Satan came to Eve and he said, Did God really say that if you eat of any fruit uh, in the garden that you will die? You will not die. He lied. He told part truth, but he lied. Do you know the most common form of disrespecting the truth is not a bold-faced lie, as we would call it, it's what we call little white lies. Little white lies are whole big lies disguised. That's all they are. The truth is the truth. One plus one is always two. One plus one is never 2.5. It's never 2.7. It's never 1.9. It's always two. You know what most of us are guilty of? Not big, fat, bold-faced lies. Most of us are guilty of little white lies. They're also described as not all the truth. Anything less than the whole truth is a whole lie. When you stand in a courtroom and you swear your oath, what do they tell you? I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, why do they have to go through all of that? Why not just say, are you going to tell the truth? Because people will not tell the whole truth. Why do we not tell the whole truth? Because of our pride. Because if we tell the whole truth, then it hurts our pride. Because it exposes that we're human and we've done wrong. By the way, if you're right, do we ever lie about that? Of course not. Why lie if I'm right? makes me look good. The whole time we lie 
is when it protects our pride. All of these things lead to the next thing. Okay? And what does God say? God's way is the truth. In John 17 and verse 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Satan is the father of lies. I don't want to be associated with that. Do you know the hardest part of our life to control, according to James chapter 3, is our tongue. The things we say. And don't raise your hand, but how many of you tell little white lies and it comes out, sometimes they're exaggerations. And before you've even realized it, you've done it. I do, sometimes. I mean, we all do. Nobody sitting in here is claiming to never do this. We all do this. We're human. It happens. So, God says it's part of what creeps into the home that messes it up. However, it's also one of the hardest things in life to handle. It's really tough. Okay? Let's go on to number three. Hands that shed innocent blood. What is this? This is a distaste for those who do right. I want you to put a marker here. Turn to Proverbs chapter 29. Let me show you what God says about the wicked's attitude towards those who do what's right. Proverbs 29, verse 27. The righteous detest the dishonest. Now, there's the contrast here. Someone who wants to do what's right should detest someone who's dishonest, not want to be like them. But notice the next phrase. The wicked detest the upright. You ever been in a conversation with someone, maybe at work, um, maybe in some um, neighborhood situation, or some situation where you are being asked to not tell the whole truth. You're being asked to cover something up, to not be totally honest. And you responded, I can't do that. It's not right. It's not the truth. I've got to tell the truth. The people who wanted you to cover up, what was their attitude and response towards that? Did they say, you know what, you're right. I can't believe that I wanted to tell a lie. Let's just go ahead together and we'll tell the truth together. Now, sometimes that happens. Not most of the time. What happens most of the time? Well, they would have never asked us to lie in the first place if they didn't want us to. There's a reason. The Bible says, and I, I, we don't have to have it proven to us. God tells us, the wicked detest the upright. They do not like people that do what's right. And you and I are going to have to face that. Okay? So, that's what this third thing that God says He detests or He hates, that's what it means. Hands that shed innocent blood. These are people who have a distaste for people that do what's right, and so they do everything they can to hurt them. Now, what does God say we're supposed to do? We're to love them. In Psalm 119 and verse 63, the psalmist says, I love those who love and want to obey your law. Those are the people I love. So I don't want to hurt those people. I love those people. Okay? Number three, an evil heart with evil thoughts. The next one says, a heart that devises wicked schemes. What is this? This is a person who is constantly thinking about the wrong things and devising ways to make those things true in their own life. 
Now, this is one we have to be very careful about because remember, we all have a sin nature. And that sin nature likes this kind of thinking. And unfortunately, we're all born with that and it never goes away. We have the Holy Spirit to help us battle it and overcome it, but it's always going to be there. It's always going to raise its head in our life and try and get us to start thinking that way again. That's why it's so important we walk with God every day. Because we have to battle this. Well, that's what that means. This is a heart that is constantly thinking about doing what's wrong. What is God's way? We're to have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5 Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. What was it? It was a mind of humility and obedience. He humbled himself and became obedient. So that's what we have to do. All right, next. We've got to go uh, so we can get through these. The next one. Notice this phrase. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. I read a couple of commentators on this trying to get an idea of what they were talking about. Because the phrase right before it talks about the fact that God hates those who are constantly thinking about and trying to figure out ways to do wrong. And then the next phrase, God said He hates those whose feet are quick to rush to evil. Well, I thought, well, that's just pretty obvious that they're thinking about doing it, so now they just do it. But as I read, the phrase literally is referring to people who have no conscience about doing wrong. Their feet are quick to rush in to do evil. They don't even stop and think about it. It doesn't bother them at all. They think it, and then they do it as quickly as they can with no hesitation at all. This is the person whose conscience either has never been converted, because there's no Holy Spirit to convict them, or it's a conscience that's becoming hardened to what's right. It's interesting. We're doing a study in the singles class called Having a Heart Like God with a Life Like Mine. We're studying the life of David. Next week, we're going to do a study um, about David walking with God. And one of the characteristics of David as he walked with God was that he was conscience-stricken twice over things that he did. In 1 Samuel 24 and verse 10, he cut off a hem of Saul's garment. The Bible says... He was conscious stricken because he had done it. And he told Saul he was sorry. In 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 10, he again did something he wasn't supposed to do. And the Bible says he was conscious stricken. That's what it means to have a heart like God. Saul did wrong. His conscience didn't bother him. David did wrong. His conscience bothered him. That's what this phrase is talking about. So, if you ever find yourself, if I find myself rushing to do things that I know are wrong and it's not bothering me, then I'm headed down a very, very, very dangerous road. Okay? Next, um, the sixth thing that God says he detests, a false witness who pours out lies. Now, someone might say, well, this is the same thing as the second one, a lying tongue. But this is a little bit different. This is speaking falsely in order to hurt other people. A false witness. This is somebody telling lies about somebody else in order to hurt them. Now, I want to ask you this, but by the way, in Ephesians 4.15, God says His way is that we speak the truth in love. Now, you've got to speak the truth. By the way, does telling the truth sometimes hurt? Sure it does. If I'm doing something wrong and you notice it, and you love me and you're concerned about me, and you come to me and you say, Bill, I noticed that you did this the other day, 
and it, it, it hurt my feelings, and um, I, I'm just concerned that you may be headed in the wrong direction. If I respond properly, I'm going to hug your neck and thank you forever for pointing that out because I don't want to do wrong. I want to do right, but I'm a human. And sometimes I do it and I don't realize it. Okay? This is different. This is speaking untruth in order to hurt somebody. You ever had that happen to you? Anybody ever told a lie about you that actually somebody else took as the truth and it came back and it wasn't so good? Do we ever do that? The next one, and I want you to look at the seventh one real quick. Um, because this one is kind of an offshoot of, of the one we're talking about. The last one. God detests a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. How, or let me rephrase it. What is the most common way that people stir up dissension among other people? What do they do? They gossip. Whether it's a lie or the truth. They gossip. They talk about other people. Let me just real quickly give you a definition of gossip. It's saying anything to anybody if that person is not a part of the problem or they're not a part of the solution. That's gossip. Saying anything to anybody when that person is not a part of the problem and they're not a part of the solution. So, for example, if you're having trouble with someone at work and you come to me and you're telling me how awful they are, and all these terrible things they're doing to you. My first question is going to be, what would you like for me to do to help you solve this problem? Oh, no, I, I don't want you to do anything. I just wanted to tell you. Then what is that? That's gossip. Because I'm not a part of the problem, and I'm not a part of the solution. That's gossip. That's what God's talking about. God says he detests that. I go back to what we talked about earlier in James chapter 3. The hardest part of our life to control is our big fat mouth. And believe me, I am the worst at it. Because I talk so much. So many times my wife will stop me and she wants to know, did my brain ever engage before my mouth started running? And unfortunately, there's a lot of times it doesn't. I just start talking. So we all struggle with this. This is one of the worst. Churches are destroyed. Families are destroyed. Friends are destroyed. Lives are destroyed. When people say ugly things about other people to people that have nothing to do with their relationship. So God says, I detest these things. Now what is God's way? In Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 16 the Bible says that a prudent person does not respond to an insult, but they overlook the wrong. I don't want to run and tell somebody else. I want God to take care of it so I keep it in. Okay? All right, so that's the practice of the wicked. Now, I want you to turn real quick to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to stop here. But I want to show you one more thing. Participation with the wicked. How many of you, and we've talked about this before, but how many of you, when you were growing up, you had someone talk to you about or you experienced, well, we all experienced it, but we, we dealt with the issue of peer pressure. Well, we all did, didn't we? Especially as teenagers. Uh, peer pressure among teenagers is huge. 
I've told you this before, but I just want to remind you. Peer pressure doesn't disappear when we turn 20. It doesn't go away. I'm 51 years old. I still have it. Peer pressure is always going to be around. Now, what you know is what God says, Proverbs chapter 1, about peer pressure and wicked people around us. Proverbs 1, verse number 10. By the way, this is a verse we taught our children when they were very little. They memorized it. We used to say it over and over again, especially when they started school. We would talk about it. Proverbs chapter 1, and verse 10. My son... If sinners entice you, do not give in to them. If sinners entice you, do not give in to them. And then the passage goes on. If you read all the way down through verse 19, it talks about what they're really trying to do when they're enticing you. They want you to join in with them. They want you to think like they think. They want you to act like they act. They want you to participate in what they're trying to do. They're trying to suck us in to their wicked way of living. Whatever that might be. So, there are three things, and I've given you these. I'll give you the verses. They're all in the study sheet. We don't have time to go through all of them, but there are three things that we have to be very careful about that we are not influenced by wicked people in these areas. Number one, their ways. Sometimes, Wicked people and the way they do things appear to have it good. A couple of verses here. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 14. Proverbs 22 and verse 5 warns us about following the ways of the wicked. And that just literally means it is the process or the way they do things. And it's drastically different from the way God says we ought to do things. Then number two, their words. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 5. Proverbs 17 and verse 4. They can be very enticing. I was a sales manager for 10 years. I've been a salesman for a long time. Good salesmen can just about sell you anything if you listen to their words and you don't think. That's what God's talking about. Be careful that we're not influenced by their words without thinking. And then number three, this may be the toughest, their wealth. Their wealth. Proverbs 24 and verse 19, Psalm 37, verses 1 through 9. If you, especially when you start to have children, or, or even in our own lives, who are our heroes? Who are the people that we are awestruck by? Who are the people that we wish we were? Think about that. Once you identify who they are, ask yourself, why do I want to be like them? I would almost guarantee you that about 90% of the time, it's because of what they appear to have materially, not because of the kind of person they are. Because most of those people... We don't know what kind of people they are because we don't know them. All we see is what they have. How many guys, for example, notice professional athletes and wish they were one of those athletes? So-and-so just signed a $40 million contract for three years. Do you know how much that guy gets paid for playing one football game a week for 16 weeks? 
Do you know how much money that guy has? That's all I know about it. And the only reason I know that is because somebody stuck it in the paper. I have no idea what his life is like. I have no idea what his character is like. But we get starstruck by these people. And all of a sudden, without even realizing it, this starts to creep into our homes and we start to try and mold our homes like these people. Let me tell you another thing that happens that's very common and it's in the same area. And that's keeping up with the Joneses. you got friends that live in a $300,000 home on the lake with two jet skis and a pontoon boat. They go out to eat all the time. They drive fancy cars. They wear name brand clothes. And we look at them and think, I'm the same age they are. How do they do that? Well, there's a lot of ways they might have done that. Well, number one, they might have had a rich relative die and leave them a million dollars. I read in the paper the other day where some person, who this lady that lived years ago, died, had no relatives. They had to go back like three generations to find somebody related to her, and they all got like $16 million apiece because they were the only known living relatives. They didn't even know the lady. Well, that may have happened. Or they may have worked hard and saved their money for a long time. And instead of spending up all their money when they were younger, they invested it. And now they have these things. Or they may have debt out the wazoo. And you don't know about it. Here's the point. All of that's not important. What kind of a person are they? So, God warns us to be very careful when it comes to the wicked. Those, and by the way, all that means is those who do not live their life the way God says to live it. There are a lot of people, by the way, that live their life the way God says to live it, and they're very wealthy, and they're blessed, and they have a lot of things. So just because people have things doesn't mean they're wicked. However, just because they have things, that doesn't determine who they are. God says be very careful. Don't participate with the wicked in their ways, their words, or be led astray by their wealth. Okay? All right. Next week, we'll talk about wisdom for raising children. Interesting. Uh, for example, do you think you ought to spank children? Well, don't answer me now. I'm going to let God answer that question next week. And uh, I'll just let you hear what God says. And if He says yes, how do you do it? What is the proper way? We're going to look at all that. So it'll be an interesting lesson next week. Father, thank you for the privilege to have your word. Thank you for the wisdom that you give us when we study your word. Help us, Lord, to be wise. Protect us from those things that Satan would use to destroy our life. Give us a great week. Lord, bless our lives and use us to be a testimony for you. In Jesus' name, amen. See you, everybody. Have a great week.